Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education, how-tos, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly with no restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. As a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, and certified sex addiction therapist, I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I am passionate in my desire to smash stigmas about both and shine a light on relationship and societal issues that may be negatively affecting us. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you're asking about or have been hoping to solve. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, erasing shame and stigmas and building healthy connections. Let's do that by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Modern Intimacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri. I have with me today a really special guest and friend, Randy Shover. Am I saying your last name right? You are, yes. Wonderful. You might <laughs> you might know her from Feeling Randy, her TikTok and Instagram accounts, where Randy talks a lot about misogyny, misogyny in general, and the misogyny that she's endured. And she's got an iconic laugh that she uses to really sort of hold a mirror up to the misogynists who come into her comment sections. So today, when I wanted to talk a little bit more about how not to be a misogynist, Randy seemed like the perfect person to have this conversation with. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about how you got into your TikTok and what you experience in terms of misogyny to give those who don't know you some context? Yeah, for sure. So I started my TikTok oh, like a year and a half, a little less than a year and a half ago. I guess it was a year in August. So a year and a couple of months. Um, my intention in starting my TikTok was to talk about my experiences really in the dating world as a woman who mm -hmm. had been married for a very long time. I got married young at the age of 22. And then, you know, 15 years later, got divorced, dated somebody seriously after that, and then found myself at the age of 38, thrust into the dating world for the first time since 1999. Mm. And a lot had changed in that time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, starting the, you know, online dating and dating apps and the Tinder of it all. And so I was like, well, if I've had to learn all these things the hard way, there's other women out there who've probably had to learn those things the hard way, or maybe I can stop them from having to learn the hard way by talking about my experience and kind of what to expect and some of the things you'll encounter. And so I hadn't spent much time on TikTok before that. I didn't have an account. Um, and so I went into it very naive <laughs> and I um, had an, ins I've had an Instagram account for years and Mm -hmm. Most of my Instagram followers are men who are, I would say, physically attracted to me. <laughs> That's why okay. they follow me. Um, and so here I am on on uh, TikTok, and I upload my first couple of videos, just introducing myself and what my you know intention is, and talking about my first kind of few experiences in the dating world. And my God, the hate from men that I got almost immediately. Oh no. Yeah, what, right? what kinds of hate, what kinds of hate out of the gate did you receive? 
Um, a lot of, you know, you're old and you stop and now you want to help other women. This is pathetic. Or you're a failure at relationships and now you want to teach others how to be a failure. Um, I got a lot wow. of, you know, you need to lay off the Botox. And I'm like, I've never even had Botox. So I guess thank you for that compliment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And so it was just... A lot of comments on my appearance, um, which surprised me because I, you know, usually get a lot of complimentary like comments, especially on my Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was weird. And then just the whole like you're a failure kind of thing. And one of the first like videos that kind of went, you know, I, I grew pretty quick. I got like 10,000 followers within the first few weeks. And then it just oh, wow. kind of from there. Mm -hmm. And, but one of the first videos that kind of took off, um, was explaining the two biggest problems that I had faced while dating. Um, and that they were one, um, being a successful woman mm -hmm. is a detriment in mm -hmm. a lot of, in a lot of instances when it comes to dating, because a lot of men feel insecure mm -hmm. about that. And yes. this wasn't something that I was like making up. It was, they, it came out of their mouths, you know, mm -hmm. that it was intimidating or whatever. And then the second one was um, just the natural sexuality that I happened to have. Um, I pole dance for fun and fitness and, and, you know, men really like that about me initially until they're dating me. And then they're like, I don't want you to be sexy anymore for anyone else. And mm -hmm. so those two things quickly jumped out as a major problem. And, if someone told me, you know, your two biggest, you know, deterrents to getting into a relationship would be that you're successful and you're sexy, I would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's a and really different expectation. It is. Um, it or is. different than what your expectations were. Yeah. What what did you yeah. how did you think that men would respond to those two characteristics? I thought they would be like, Yeah, I can kind of see that, or you know, I, I guess I thought I was dealing with rational men. Okay. Um, the men of TikTok, by and large, no offense to the men who don't fall into this category, are extremely irrational. <laughs> um, they're very <laughs> triggered by, by I think, by women um, speaking their truth. Yes. And so th they all were like, no, it's because you're full of yourself. No, it's because you're too old. Like, you need to, you know, explore more about what it is that is so off-putting about you. That's what it is. It's not that you are successful and it's not that you're sexy. And I'm like, but they're literally telling me that it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I so appreciate those vulnerable, those vulnerable men who could tell you that they felt insecure or yes. inadequate in contrast to your success or in contrast to your ability to really be present with and to own your own sexuality. That can feel really scary for people, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing and that you should stop, right? But I think what I hear a lot from you, from other female content creators, is that they are often shamed and degraded for the very things that men seem to be following them for and interested in. So there's a real um, dissonance when it comes to, I think, the two-dimensional nature of social media and people's capacity for impulse control and empathy when they see something that activates something inside of them, an emotion, a thought, something, a physical sensation. And their quickest reaction is to just put you down or shame you away because it's easier, I think, sometimes than recognizing that the, 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 the trait or the characteristic or the person behind the content 
is something or someone who they might want to be around and they don't have access to that person or that characteristic. That's so true. That's so true. And I I think one thing I've really noticed about a lot of the men that I've encountered both online and in person is when they feel inadequate or Mm -hmm. insecure, a lot of them will preemptively reject or lash out. Um, It's, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, before you get a chance to reject me, I'm going to preemptively reject you. And it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I don't, I don't know if women do that. Um, but, but I've, I've had so much experience with men doing that, um, Mm -hmm. where they'll, you know, they'll try to take you down a peg or two. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, twofold. It's that whole, um, pickup artist bullshit Mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm going to, you know, degrade you. So you'll date me. So you'll feel Mm -hmm. bad about yourself and you'll be (laughs) willing to lower yourself to date me. And also it's like, maybe they just don't know what to do with feeling inadequate or feeling insecure. Yeah. I think those are two really common motives for that strategy. It's let me make you think you aren't enough so that you'll see me as someone valuable and someone around whom you want to be, because then you feel good about yourself. Um, But also how dare you not think I'm so valuable and how dare you not want to be with me? You are not great anyway. And so we see the, the double-edged sword of how misogyny can take place when it comes to initiating conversations with women and the strategy that so clearly outlines fear, insecurity, and a desire to be in control when they really feel quite helpless and powerless in, in the situation of dating. And it makes sense because if that's the approach, they've likely been rejected a lot. And it's not surprising. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, and I I think too, you know, as a as a woman who's I'm 44. And I often, um, you know, would meet men that were my age, um, but maybe hadn't gone as far (laughs) in their life as they were Mm -hmm. hoping. Mm -hmm. And, and they, um, they looked at that as, you know, some kind of slight on them instead of like it being a pro in uh, on my behalf, it was like, no, 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 you can't be more successful than me because that's not what society has told me. And people my age in particular, you know, we were fed a line that this is what the life is going to look like for you. Um, that, you know, if you have a job and you have a pulse as a man, you deserve a woman. And we've, Women have evolved so quickly, I feel like, Mm -hmm. over the last 50 to 60 years. You know, Mm -hmm. the minute we were allowed to all of a sudden have our own bank accounts and take loans out in our own name and and kind of have a little bit more autonomy, we're like slowly, slowly but surely, and I think it's accelerating, um, deciding, you know what, I don't have to put up with this, this bare minimum effort, this, you know, I don't have to do what I don't want um, anymore because I have the ability to do these things for myself. Right. And, They're no longer dependent on men socially, yes. financially, all of the, in all of the ways that they were before. Yeah. And so I think that makes a lot of men who were told they were going to have some kind of, you know, reward or, you know, life that they, you know, that they deserved, they don't get that anymore that, you know, mm-hmm. it's not their grandfather's world anymore. Thank God. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, and so I think it's, it's hard for some of them mm-hmm. to, uh, accept. And so they, la- they do, mm-hmm. they lash out. And whew, I was, like I said, unprepared. <laughs> for well, the lash you're, out. you're uppity, 
right? And I say that with love and reverence because I'm also uppity. And what I mean by that is you've broken out of the role in which you were supposed to, in air quotes, play. And there's a really interesting article, the author, I can't remember her name right now, but it's called The Sexual Harassment of Uppity Women. And in it, she talks about how women who do not adhere to the more traditional gender roles um, tend to face more harassment, especially sexual harassment. So it makes a lot of sense to me that on your social media, where you do just step right into your power and speak from the heart and you're very embodied and you take no shit, you know, that you don't conform to this role that you're supposed to, again, air quotes, be in. Um, and you, therefore you can't be controlled. And so what can't be controlled or who can't be controlled by men who are like this Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they they have to try to, in their minds, degrade the target, demolish it, make it go away. And they do that by trying to levy these really um, volatile and vitriolic comments and do anything they can to discredit you, make you feel small, make you feel bad. And in, in that way, they're trying to hold on to some semblance of self. Oh, yeah. So true. So true. So for the folks who are listening who want to challenge misogyny within, because we we all have some, right, whether it's externalized or internalized, we've all learned to be misogynistic because we've grown up in a patriarchal society. So let's think a little bit about how can people not be misogynistic? (laughs) (laughs) What are some tips that we might offer so that we can really be productive in challenging this within ourselves and if faced with it? Yeah. So what, what are, what's one way that you can think of? Yeah. And I'll preface that with one thing, um, that the misconception that feminism is about demonizing men and that it's about, um, making women superior to men or that we don't like men or masculinity. That is, that is not what it is. We just want to be treated with humanity. And when you come at a woman from a misogynistic place, it removes our humanity. And so with that, one of my first big, my big one, uh, I, can I swear on this podcast? Of course. Yes. (laughs) I fucking hate the term female oh. when referring when referring to women. Um, this female, yes. that female, I dated a female. It's like a female what? Exactly. A female dog. <clears throat> I'm so glad that you brought this up. So a couple of days ago on my TikTok page, I duetted a woman who is um, an English copywriter, I think, or a professional writer of some sorts. And she was talking about how she Um, edits and writes for medical and other professional articles, right? And she said, let's be really clear. People who use the term females are being misogynistic, whether they know it or not, um, because the correct use of the term females, when it's applied to humans, is as an adjective. So you can say the female police officer or the female baker or the female student, and that's okay. It's an adjective to describe a human, and the noun is the human role, right? But when we use that word as a noun to talk about humans, it's incorrect, grammatically incorrect. And a lot of people in my comments were like, but it's a noun, look up the dictionary. Two things. 
we have to remember that the dictionaries were written by white men, so Mm -hmm. they're already biased. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Two, there's nuance and context. So it is a noun when we're talking about plants and animals. We refer to dogs as females. We refer to cows as females. I mean, or they're bulls, then they're they're males. (laughs) But we don't call humans females because that's the context and the nuance of language. Yes, no, exactly. And it's it's reductive, right? It's reducing us down to our biological parts, um, sexual organs, so to speak. And and more than anything, women don't like it. So maybe just stop. Like that could be yeah. that should be enough. That should be enough of an answer, right? There. Completely. I mean, some women were in my comment section saying, I don't mind, it's not that deep. And the thing is, it it is that deep because even if you don't know the history of the word or don't think about it from a deeper perspective, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't have really gnarly origins. And in fact, my understanding of the origin of the way this word was used to describe women is that it came from one of the earliest OBGYNs who was actually running um, experiments and doing research on Black women. And so to create a bit of a buffer in polite society, he started calling them females oh. instead of women, right? So it has racist and misogynistic undertones to it. And I don't think many people really know that. So when we're talking about women, I implore everyone, it's a really simple vocabulary shift, move from calling them females to women. Yes. No. And it's, it's not hard. And the thing is, I see some of the, you know, more misogynistic men on TikTok make videos Mm -hmm. and they're very particular about their language Mm -hmm. where they refer to men as men Mm -hmm. and women as females. And they're using those terms at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, I know this man who went out with this female and Mm -hmm. it's like, you're doing that very purposefully. Right. Right. And some of them might just be doing it because this is the language in which they've been socialized. And so this is the language that they just use without really thinking about it. But when we know better, we do better. And it started from misogynistic intentions. So it's super important to challenge that when it comes up and, and even if it comes out of your own mouth. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've dated a couple of guys in the military before. Um, Mm -hmm. I would not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) No offense. Thank you for your service. But anyway, um, <laughs> and um, they would call, you know, me or women females and I called mm. them on it and they're like, well, that's just what we do in the military. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, but let's think about why. Why is that what they do in the military? It's yeah. to dehumanize and yes. to de-identify soldiers. So yes. thank you for proving the point. Yeah. Right. It's like, that's nice. <laughs> it's time to learn better. Right. Do yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to our next tip. Um, You mentioned before the conversation about body count. This is a very misogynistic (laughs) (laughs) conversation. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. That's the other, that's the other big one that I got a lot um, from the men, the men of TikTok um, (laughs) was body count and, you know, oh, you've been ran through and now no one wants you. (laughs) And it's like, do you know how women's bodies work? That shit's a muscle, right? Like the more we use it, the tighter it can get. Hello. Um, And so, yeah, 
If, first of all, it's none of anybody's goddamn business. That's my first answer to that whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, And it does not, you know, dictate value. At all. We're not cars with miles on it. We're not objects. We're human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have, you know, two children, one of which was a C-section, one of which was, you know, vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. And that shit snapped back after pushing a head out. So (laughs) your penis is not going to have the impact you think it's going to have. And, um, and so I just, yeah, I, I hate that so much. And if a man, first of all, no man has ever dared ask me that in person. It's this, you know, it's the, it's the world of the online troll, right? Mm -hmm. If a man dared ask me that in person, he would never, I would never talk to him again because that's, that's stupid. (laughs) No. And they know better. Right. And, and when you're in person with somebody, it's a really different experience. You get the biofeedback of their reaction in the moment. Right. So some may be that brazen. I certainly see a lot of folks asking those questions in interview format on social Mm -hmm. media. And I think they're trying to get clout and trying to be oppositional and do the things that make them seem very masculine. Um, But what I've never had that be a real conversation um, for anyone in my dating life, but I'm also very loud about being a feminist. So yeah. I probably don't draw in those kinds of men. Um, but certainly a lot of men do have this feeling that if a woman has had many sexual partners, even just a few, that that somehow changes her worthiness or her ability to be a good sexual partner. And that has some deep roots in purity culture yes. and, and the myth of purity. Yes. Yes. And I, I was raised Mormon. <laughs> I'm from Utah, raised Mormon mm-hmm. and um, purity culture was all I knew mm. Ab- abstinence. And, and, you know, I mean, I was given the, the lesson when I was in young women's, which is a, you know, what you, you go into when you turn 12 and you essentially graduate when you're 18, um, you know, several lessons on, uh, pure on my purity being my only source of value. And, you know, the, the analogy of it, of chewing gum, you know, everybody wants a fresh piece of gum. Now, if I chew this gum, who's going to want it now? And Mm -hmm. if you have sex before marriage, you are a chewed piece of gum that no one will want. You know, another analogy was a licked cupcake. I mean, and so that was the world I grew up in. And, and, you know, as somebody who never fit in, who was always bucking, you know, authority and, and the not doing what I was told, I was like, this is bullshit, (laughs) but it, but it did not, it didn't, I did not realize the full impact that that had on me. Until, I mean, really within the last couple of years um, and have had to unpack that. But yeah, the purity culture is bullshit. Virginity is a, is a social construct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, whether you've had zero sexual partners or 500, as long as you don't, you know, as long as you're safe and, and take care of your, your physical health it doesn't yeah. matter. And as long yeah. as those things were consensual, it doesn't matter. Right. And, um, it doesn't change your body. It doesn't, you know, make you loose. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, you know, you don't blow out your vagina. <laughs> That's the biggest dissonant, um, uh, element of this conversation for me. You know, the, the, the same men who will talk about body count have no problem having sex 100 times with a woman, Yes, but they think that 
if a woman has sex with 50 men or 100 men one time, that that somehow is going to change her body. And I think what it really speaks to is an element of shame around their own sexuality. And this idea that if other men have been here before, they've left something on this person. You know, I've heard men say the most ridiculous things about how women actually absorb their DNA after they ejaculate. I mean, they're just really uninformed. They're really uninformed. They're really uninformed. Yes. Well, and I, I had a couple of videos that were taken down for bullying and harassment um, because I was, t- I was clapping back about pair bonding. Oh. And because that was like a big thing that, you know, a lot of these misogynistic dating coaches were going on about that a woman who has too many sexual partners, which what's too many, no one knows, um, loses the ability to pair bond. Mm. And, um, and I was like, first of all, pair bonding was studied in prairie voles. I am not a prairie vole. Are you? And, you know, and it's, it's literally the prairie vole releases oxytocin when the male prairie vole engages her cervix. And it's as simple as that. And, you know, we produce oxytocin for a wide variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And just because we produce it doesn't mean some one day, oh, you've run out. Mm-hmm. You're not going to produce anymore. Because the same thing happens when you, you know, when you breastfeed your baby, mm-hmm. um, you know, you produce right. those bonding hormones. Mm-hmm. And, and when you give by, birth. And when you give birth, all mm-hmm. these things. And by that logic, it would mean, well, once I have one baby, all my other kids are shit out of luck because <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. It's just, right. it's, it's, it's silly. It's, it's based in shame. It's based in control. I think yes. a lot of the men that push that narrative want control. I think a lot of them also push it because they know that if she has a lower body count, and I use that term facetiously, um, that she likely is young. And, yes. and the younger you are, maybe it's a little easier to control you. And maybe it's also easier for her to think you're the best because she doesn't know any better. I mean, can you remember your earliest sexual partners and how, how, what that experience was like compared to what it might be like now? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, God, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think yeah. it was like four pumps and done. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it, it makes sense from an insecurity perspective that there would be so much focus on the idea of body count. And also, I think one thing that a lot of men who are really up in arms about this conversation, um, don't necessarily know is that men were actually the people who pushed for monogamy, we were never really a monogamous species. Um, We lived in communities and I think it was around the start of the agricultural revolution um, that we started to live separately. And that's when men started to feel like, wait a minute, um, I don't know if I'm taking care of children that are my own. So I think I need to lock this up and make sure that I'm only working for my own offspring, which makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't mean that it's a biological truth, right? It, it's really a, a failure to recognize the influence of social structures and the ways in which the patriarchy shifted when it partnered up with capitalism And when it partnered up with all of these ways in which men started to protect their own interests and started to dehumanize women more aggressively. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about another tip. Um, you mentioned in our earlier conversation, uh, the friend zone. So let's talk oh. about why this is misogynistic to be offended if you are put in the quote unquote friend zone. Yes. Um, so the friend zone doesn't exist. <laughs> First, I'll say that the friend zone. Um, so either you're a friend or you're pretending to be a friend in order to have right. sex with or access to something that you're, that she's not willing to give you. Right. So this idea that women keep men around as friends and friend zone them, um, is ridiculous. Uh, it, it, and, and men who whine about the friend zone are typically the same ones who are whining about, but I'm a nice guy. Yes. Um, the nice guy trope. Right. And yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating thing. You know, it's like, well, how do you think it feels to like, you know, have feelings for this person and she just wants to be your friend? Well, how do you think it feels to think you have a friend? And it turns out you don't, you just have somebody who's been biding their time waiting to get into your pants. And so you're either friends with a woman or you're not. That's right. That's really it. Yeah. And I think it really does speak to the sometimes conscious, but also mostly unconscious ways that men expect women to be available to them sometimes. And being put in the quote unquote friend zone is one of those ways. It's like, wait a minute, I want this from her. Why isn't it something that's available to me? Why isn't she, and even even to quote your language, giving it to him? We don't Mm -hmm. give sex to people. Mm -hmm. We co-create a pleasurable experience. We don't, sex isn't something that you just hand them in a box. Like, here you go. Here's my sex. Um, It's something that you do together. And that's, I think, a big part of um, why so many men feel like they're being pushed aside unjustly because they do think that sex is to be given to them if they just perform the role of good guy and the role of good enough and the role of good intentions, but they don't have good intentions when they are duplicitous in this manner. And women can feel that and they can feel that there is often a a lack of authenticity in those friendships. I'll put that word in quotes too, because they, they sense that there's like something more that's wanted And I was just watching a TikTok video the other day that was just heartbreaking. A woman was talking about how she was moving to a different state and she always thought she had so many great guy friends, but within the last two weeks of her being where she lived, all of them shot their shot with her and (laughs) were frustrated that they missed their opportunity to have sex with her. And she was crying in the video and talking about how she was devastated because she thought these men were friends. She went to them for advice. She thought she had integrated them into her life. And it turns out they were all just hanging around hoping to get a quick dip. And that's a very non-clinical way of saying that, but (laughs) that's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. A quick dip. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it is. Right. And It is. It's just, it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. Um, you know, I mean, certainly it's, it sucks for, you know, to, to want someone or like someone, um, in, in a way that you, it's not reciprocated. Certainly that sucks, but, but to hang around and pretend like you're someone's friend in the hopes that she'll change her mind is it's unfair. And, you know, and you're, you're also, 
not doing yourself any favors by, by doing that either. Because I, I feel like when, what I see most often is this real bitterness in, mm-hmm. in men who feel like they've been friend zoned, like yeah. they've been, they've been harmed in some way. And it's like, no, she just is not interested in you in, in anything other than a friendship and either, yeah. either take the friendship for face value or just say, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I can't just be your friend because I want more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that would require vulnerability and that can be very challenging for anyone, but especially for men who are consistently told not to feel vulnerable. So I, I get it. They, and, and I think so many men also have not really had to um, or have wanted to think about ways that their socialization into masculinity has created some entitlements. You know, most of us don't want to think about ourselves as being entitled. That's not a flattering view. But when we look at the privilege of masculinity and the toxic elements of it, there's a tremendous amount of entitlement over the experience of women and the service of women, if you'll call it that. Yeah. And I I think if your mindset is, is that you know, women are somehow lesser than, or you, you you know, there's some kind of control or ownership piece of it too. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of men feel like, you know, they should have some control or ownership over women. Mm -hmm. Um, then a woman, not, not doing what you want, not living up to the expectations in your mind is, you know, is like, I'm sure very difficult to deal with, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it's like, welcome, welcome to being an adult. You know, we have to kind of deal with those things all the time. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just, again, it's like, if you, I feel like if you care for and respect somebody as a person, as a human being, then you wouldn't worry about the friend zone. Yeah. You wouldn't worry about, you know, some, you would respect the fact that she's not into you that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, don't hang around hoping that she will change her mind. Yes. Doesn't happen very often. It may happen in movies, but it doesn't (laughs) happen in real life very often. It's so true. And I think part of the reason why some men feel so embittered when they do hang around and their desire to be more than friends doesn't materialize is not even so much that they're mad at her for not reciprocating their unrequited fantasy. I think they're mad at themselves because they don't value themselves enough to walk away and to go bring their energy somewhere else. And sometimes I think it's their relationship with themselves is such that maybe they don't think very highly of themselves in general. So they were looking at being with this woman as a way to feel vindicated, validated, or good enough. So when she says, no, it's not even really about missing out on the opportunity to be with her. It's about missing out on the validation that being with her would provide. And that's, again, why it can be such a misogynistic um, demand and, and expectation. I was recently reading this book called Burnout by Emily Nagowski. Highly recommend if you haven't read it uh, already for anyone listening. It's a book that talks about the weight of the patriarchy on women and our health and our nervous systems and how living in a patriarchal system creates so much somatic burnout in our bodies. And she's 1000% correct in her analysis of how the patriarchy impacts women and their health. But one of the things that she cited 
is actually Kate Mann's work in the book Down Girl, where she talks about how in a patriarchy, men are seen as the human beings and women are seen as human givers. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there is this unconscious expectation that women are to give of themselves to the beings. And it is costing women their lives because the stress of that every day, the stress of all of those expectations and manipulative efforts to get what is needed from them, what is supposed to be supposed to be in air quotes, given to them, um, given to these beings, it takes such a big toll on us that we have higher rates of all kinds of health problems, mental health and physical health as a result. So misogyny is not just something you know, funny to laugh at on TikTok, Mm -hmm. or when you hear someone talking about it, I really implore you to challenge anyone who talks about it's not that deep because it is, it has huge, far reaching and long lasting implications on the lives of women and femme presenting people and on men too, whether or not they want to admit it. And that's the wild part, right? Is is the the significant detrimental impacts that patriarchy and subsequently misogyny have on men. And I had a I have a video where I did a deep dive into the different waves of feminism and what they mm-hmm. mean. And, you know, kind of trying to undo like what I said at the beginning here of, you know, that feminism is about man hating. We want men to be free too. we want men to be, you know, have access to their full emotional range Mm -hmm. and to be able to cry and be able to exhibit really any anger or any emotion other than just anger, or, you know, you're, you're, you can either be happy or you can be mad men. Mm -hmm. That's about it. And, you know, that's so unfair. And, and I think along those lines, you know, little boys within our society have, you know, the, the feminine aspects of them essentially beat out of them, right. By being Mm -hmm. constantly told the worst thing you can be is a girl. The worst thing you can do is act like a girl or be a a pussy or a sissy or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they internalize that. And then that means, well, girl means bad. Girl means wrong. Feminine is bad. So I'm going to lash out, but then I'm also going to take you know, traits that have been for whatever dumb reason have been gendered to be feminine traits, you know, empathy (laughs) and, and, you know, kindness and, Mm -hmm. and warmth, all those things that have been gendered as feminine, they stop engaging with those traits and using, Mm -hmm. you know, which is really all they are is just a full, the full human experience. Exactly. And so I, you know, so I would, I would love it. I would love it so much if men, were freed from that too. Um, but, but back to what you were saying about that book, first of all, I need to read that. Um, because are great. Yes. Um, because I have been feeling that so heavy lately. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also, uh, talked about in a video of mine, the damage that marriage has on women. Yes. Um, and, and mostly it was, you know, it was like the prox, the more proximity to men women have, the harder it is on us. Mm-hmm. But the more proximity men have to women, the easier it is on them. 
Yeah. And that the men folk hated that video. First of mm-hmm. all, women were like, this is facts. And men were like lies, but, um, <laughs> but it was so it was, but it goes back to exactly what you were saying from that book that there's a, there's a physical impact, there is. you know, to women, a health mm-hmm. impact to women when you are, you know, when the expectations of men are placed on you at all times. Absolutely. And when it is the expectation that you give of yourself, you know, we are not giving trees and no one should be. And that is sometimes the way it feels as a woman in a patriarchal society, because everywhere I, everywhere I go, I'll just speak for myself. There is an expectation put on me that I should be available in some way, whether it's giving my keys to the valet, there's a a flirtation that comes across his face. Now, this isn't to, you know, knock anyone. I appreciate if somebody is attracted to another person, but if I don't respond in a way that's kind and polite, when all I want to do is go have dinner with my girlfriends, Mm -hmm. um, if I don't entertain that and soothe the letdown, my car might get dented. Yeah, I'm bringing it back. And that is a real minor problem, right? There are women who are physically assaulted, who are murdered because they didn't respond in the way that men expected them to. And it's dangerous out there. And that is such a, um, I think a point that I really want to drive home here is that again, misogyny has real consequences and perpetuates this entitlement. And when women really think about it, now there are many women who maybe aren't aware um, or they haven't given themselves permission to think about it as critically because the reality is once you see it, you see it everywhere and it is exhausting. It's exhausting. So I get it for the women who just say, no, la, 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 la. I hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. I understand that as their body protecting them from grieving a reality that is really unkind to them. And when I think about sort of the the weight of that and the fatigue of that, it makes a lot of sense that we're seeing women who are in their happiest moments, single and either child-free or their children have grown up and left the home, you know, when they don't have those expectations on them all the time. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I stopped dating a year and a half ago and it's been the best thing I've ever done for myself because Mm -hmm. I realized how much emotional turmoil I was constantly in trying to, you know, I mean, dating is just a nightmare anyway, but like, but trying to, um, play the game, Mm. you know, give them the response that they want. Um, you know, it's just, it's constant. Um, you know, you don't really think about how, much of a physical toll it takes on you to mm-hmm. have to be up and on all the time. I mean, I go to, I go to a lot of conferences for work and I'm always exhausted after. And I'm like, why? I didn't really do anything, but it's because you're having to perform mm-hmm. at all times. And that's what it's like being a woman, you know, you have to perform or mm-hmm. there's risk. And, yeah. and so I'm, you know, I'm the first one to advocate that women be single. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> I'm like, Every time a woman's like, oh, my husband's doing this. I'm in the comments, like dump him (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I just, I feel like, like you said, we have to get, we're human givings, right? We have to give and give and give. And there's only so much. There's only so much to give. Yeah. Yeah. And And, then you run out. (laughs) And you, and you do, right. And you run out. And, and this is 
a big part of why women do initiate divorce more frequently than men do, because they give and 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 give. And then they have nothing left to give and nothing left to grieve. And they've been hoping and waiting for their partner to see them as full humans and to respect them as full humans and to show up in a more mutual way. And they don't. And a lot of it is because of the ways that men have been socialized. I don't think that all men are bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. But all men have been socialized to be masculine in ways that include misogyny, much in the same way that all white people have been socialized to be racist under the systems of racism in our country, in our world. We have to take responsibility for that. It doesn't make us bad people, but we do have to deconstruct and do the work and move out of these ways of automatic thinking and start asking ourselves, how am I approaching this situation? Um, can I be more humanizing? And the answer is always yes. Yes. No, absolutely. Because I mean, and you, you know, men are socialized and conditioned to with misogyny and so are women. Right? So are women yeah. And, and I think about my own internalized misogyny that I have been unpacking really for the last 10 years, but really diving a lot deeper in the last five, mm-hmm. because I was the ultimate pick me woman. Um, because I was taught that's how you, that's how you stay safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you align yourself with, with, uh, those in power and, you know, that proximity to power can maybe protect you until it doesn't right. until it doesn't, and it's not real power. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's adjacent to power. And so it wasn't until I realized that by aligning myself with other women, especially, I mean, I've spent most of my career in construction and it's all men. Most of the time Mm -hmm. I was the only woman in any room. And, um, you know, there were a couple of women. And when I first started in my career, it was like women are the enemy. Um, there's only so much space for us. There's only space for one of us. And and then I started to think, why do I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the way I was socialized. It's the way we're, you know, if we're busy fighting amongst ourselves, the men can get away with a whole bunch of shit. And yes. so, um, so it wasn't until I realized that if her and I, you know, the other woman that I was working with at the time, if her and I aligned with each other and had each other's backs, what could happen? Mm. And everything changed, everything wow. changed. And so, and just same thing with white supremacy, like you, you mm-hmm. mentioned, right. And racism, it's just, it's there, mm-hmm. it's indoctrinated and it's up to mm-hmm. us to change it. And, and, it is. and men can and have, and I've seen lots of them, and there's really some really amazing um, content creators on TikTok mm-hmm. and other platforms of men who have really, really done that work. Um, yes. And so it's possible. You just have to want to. And I think that's the biggest problem right now is that there's there's men who don't want to change it because they like being in power. Right. Right. So I think you bring up such a great point here. There has to be motivation. So what could possibly be the motivation for somebody who does reap so many benefits of maintaining a misogynistic or patriarchal worldview to change? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate question, right? And to to me, um, the, the benefit would be, what would it feel like if I didn't feel like the world is on my shoulders? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a, as a single mom, um, who is the oldest daughter and you just did a fantastic post <laughs> on, on oldest daughters and 
I, I actually had a mini meltdown yesterday morning, um, mm-hmm. thinking about all the ways that since I was six years old, because by the time I was six, I had three younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, that I, that was the moment I stopped being a child and started being a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and men are socialized to think that, you know, they're the protectors and the providers. We hear that constantly. And it's like, <laughs> God, isn't that boring? Don't you want to be more than that? Don't you want to be less than that? Like, <laughs> Don't you want to be free from that? Free from that. You know, and, that that's the thing that always comes up for me. It's like, okay, I, I understand maybe that's what you were told you were supposed to be, but what does that entail? Yeah. Because what, what I see in clinical practice when I work with men, either single or um, in partnerships, is often a resentment for being in that role. Yes. They're mad that their partner may or may not be contributing as much financially. They don't understand why they should help with the domestic labor in the household because they have this financial um, contribution and they think that that usurps everything else. Um, These men are angry about being in that role. They're resentful, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to walk away from it because it's such a pillar of what defines masculinity in their minds from what they've been told. But there is so much liberation for men who put that down and find meaning and identity in other ways you know, I work with so many men who would call themselves recovering misogynists. And I have to tell you, the transformation is beautiful. Love it. They, they come back, you know, after a few months of being in therapy, they're having the best sex of their lives mm-hmm. with their partners. There's like such a difference in the way they communicate with each other. They feel more respected, which is ironic because all they've wanted from the start was to feel respected. But the ways that they were told to get that respect actually left their partners respecting them less. Yeah. So we work on changing all of that and creating an egalitarian mindset. And the transformation that they see is super rewarding. Well, and that's the thing that really is wild to me is that, especially straight men, right? I mean, we're by and large talking mostly about straight men here, men that want to date women or marry women or have sex with women, whatever. Um, And... (laughs) <laughs> they, they they are doing all the things they possibly can to turn us off, mm-hmm. to piss us off, mm-hmm. to, you know, push us to the point where I'm like, I'm like, I, I have historically had a very high libido. And over the last year and a half, I'm like, Ugh, gross. <laughs> and, and because I've just had too many bad experiences mm-hmm. and, but men who give respect, get respect, men who engage with their partner from a human to human level, yeah. you know, they drop the, the macho bullshit. Yeah. The, it's the, not a performance. Yeah. It's like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just be, just be right. And, and those guys are like super happy and they're not on TikTok calling women ugly and fat, you know, so and, and calling women ran through and they're in good relationships. So why don't men look at men who are in these happy relationships who have unpacked their misogyny, like have gone through the programs you're talking about? Why can't those men, why can't men out there who are wanting to be in a relationship, but are angry that they're not, why don't they look to them as the pillars instead of men like Andrew Tate? Well, why is that happening? (laughs) So, so in my other podcast, without consent, we talk about this in the Andrew Tate phenomenon, because a lot of these men, they want to be in relationship with a woman. That's what they say. They don't want to, they don't want to be in relationship with a woman. They want a woman to be next to them, right? They want 
the, 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 what is it? The accessory of a woman. Mm. They want her as a prop to shore up their sense of masculinity. See, I've got her, she's mine. And therefore I'm more elevated. And this is not a phenomenon that really, in my opinion, is related to a mother wound in so much as it's related to a father wound. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the real grift of the patriarchy for many men is that the patriarchy kept their fathers emotionally distant, sometimes physically distant. And so they grew up with a real yearning for that male validation and for the sensation and the feeling of being good enough in their father's eyes. But because the patriarchy eclipsed their father's ability to be emotionally um, demonstrative and caring and warm with these young men, a lot of them adhere to this script of masculinity because on some level, they're trying to say, dad, am I man enough yet? Can you Mm -hmm. love me? Can I be part of your crew? And so men like Andrew Tate, and there are a bunch of other ones, because let me just be really clear, Andrew Tate is not special mm-hmm. and he's not unique. And whenever his sound bites dry up, there will be another one who pops up in his in his place. Um, they're able to take that place because there is a hunger mm-hmm. for some sort of strong father role model and men with wealth or when men who talk about having a lot of sex with women, these are the old tropes of masculinity and they're easy. And these men are being manipulated by the promise of being good enough if they model these behaviors, but modeling these behaviors keeps them more and more isolated, more and more afraid, more and more limited in their human experience, and they get really angry. And then they're more vulnerable to further manipulation by these men who say, be angry at women, it's their fault, when in fact, they're being exploited by the very men they seek to admire. So, so true. And so, like, perfectly stated that it's, you know, it's the the, the the male validation, the father's approval that they're missing. And that's why mm-hmm. they're, you know, men like Andrew Tate and Kevin Samuels. I mean, there's a boatload of them. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's copycats of them every, I see a new mm-hmm. one on, on TikTok. There's so many of them and it's, they all have the same goddamn message, you know, that all of the plights in your life, all of the things that are wrong, all of the, you know, it's all women's fault. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, follow me, let me teach you how to use, abuse and manipulate women. And then you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, I just, I, I wish we had, I wish we had more access to mental health care for, you know, the youth of, t- you know, of the U S uh, the world, yeah. you know, I feel like if we were able to address those things when kids are real little, um, it would change everything. I also, I tell every woman I know that has sons, please raise your sons to be a feminist. And then mm-hmm. that gets a lot of pushback. And I'm like, that is not a, that's not a dirty word. That's just means yeah. you're raising your son to care about women as humans. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if you don't like the word feminist, maybe you could try in the word humanist, right? Yeah. So somebody who just really sees human beings as equal and valuable and shares the interconnected experience of what it means to be a human because we all are. And that gets so lost when we start sitting in these polarized um, roles of male, female, men, women, 
dominant, submissive. I mean, that stuff's only fun if it's consensual and in the Mm -hmm. bedroom. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Randy, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast and talking about this with me. I feel like we could have seven more conversations about this. So I I hope (laughs) you'll come back and we can do this again. Anytime. It was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you. And where can people reach you if they want to be in contact with you, your work, or even your upcoming podcast? Yes. Um, so on TikTok and Instagram, I'm at feelingrandy78. Um, and then my podcast will be Feeling Randy and something. I'm still working it out, but I will be <laughs> launching that. I ha- I set myself a date of, of December 15th. So that's my, that's my date for getting it launched. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And stay tuned for the next episode of modern intimacy. You can always check us out on our website, modernintimacy.com. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrieri. And you can also find uh, modern intimacy on Instagram at the modern intimacy. We've got lots of free information, psychoeducation, downloadable tips, documents, handouts, things to work on. So check it out. All right. See you next week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.